make this part look rugged. Mm-hmm. Allegheny Plateau. This dark shaded stripe, bum bum bum, is the front. Paint the long ridges and valleys below. Mm-hmm. Our town is this dot. Quick dashes mark the property ends. Beach Creek, a rope that turns and bends. Little squares for houses strung along roads. The land transfigured into topographic codes. Maps show you what is simple and true. Try laying out a bird's eye view. Not what he told you, just what you see. What do you know that's not your dad's mythology? Dad was born on this farm. Here's our house. Here's the spot where he died. I can draw a circle. His whole life fits inside. Four miles from our door, I-80 ran from shore to shore on its way from the Castro to Christopher Street. The road less taken just for miles from our door. You were born on this farm. Here's our house. Here's the spot where you died. I can draw a circle. I can draw a circle. You lived your life inside. I'm E.J. Ionelli, and this is From the Studio. We're joined this morning in the KPBX studio by members of the new production of Fun Home, which was originally an autobiographical graphic novel by Alison Bechtel, and it was later adapted to stage as a musical by Janine Tesori and Lisa Cron. And Stage Left's production of Fun Home opens this weekend, and we are going to talk about it today with the uh, co-directors as well as members of the cast. And so with us in the studio, we have Troy Nickerson. Good morning. Good morning. And Jeremy Whittington. Hello. And they are the co-directors, and Jeremy is also doing set design on this. (coughs) And then we have Chelsea Duvall. Good morning. Good morning, Chelsea. And Chelsea is playing Allison, and we have Hope Cornette. Who is playing medium Allison, and we will tease out the distinction between the two of them in just a second. But I also wanted to make note of Cedric Bidwell-Williams, who is the show's music director, and he was accompanying out in the performance space. And Chelsea, since we're on the subject of that song that we just heard, uh, which was Maps, that um, encapsulates some of the story around which Fun Home centers. Um, So what exactly is going on in that song as you talk about this circle that you can draw around these locations? Yeah, well, the whole premise of the of the show is that Allison is constructing the graphic novel memoir that is Fun Home, right? That's the title of her memoir. And in this particular section, she's drawing a map of where they lived, where her father's life particularly um, occurred and events within his life. So she's putting that together that it was all so much closer and more intimate than uh, she realized. 
Um, and some of these locations you talked about um, where he lived and where he died. Mm-hmm. And th- his death is something of a catalyst for a lot of what happens in this, uh, in this production. It prompts Allison's reflections on her life and prompts her to do some soul searching, no? Yeah, I mean, when we're considering timeline, right? Like, I don't know if I would say his death was a catalyst. I, I would say his death is like a an axle in it. But like, she didn't really get to this work till much later, right? Mm-hmm. In her life after her father's death. But it's certainly something that sort of shades and colors everything else, right? As she looks back on her father, as she looks back on herself, her brothers, her mother even, that death certainly colors things over uh, in a way and helps her reflect in a different capacity. And um, so Allison is, uh, or your Allison, I should say, in that phase of her existence is a constant throughout this production. So you are on stage as an observer, um, something of a, a touchstone for the audience to yeah, kind of anchor themselves in a certain time as we embark on these these forays into memory. Yeah, I am there the whole time. <laughs> if you miss me, you fell asleep. <laughs> um, yeah, she is definitely a thread, right? Because the the time is not linear in this story, right? It, it's flexible. She's going in and out of memory, going from young childhood to young adolescence to adulthood to back to adolescence. It weaves. And so I, I think in terms of storytelling, it was smart to have an anchor because memory, right, it, in time, it, it, how tangible are those things, right? And so I think it was a smart thing in terms of a device of storytelling, especially within the context of musical theater, which for the most part lives in a very linear Aristotelian like storytelling, right? Friday experiment always with musicals. Like it's just like Pixar. So to do to have something that's a little bit more abstracted in terms of storytelling, uh, you need a thread, right? You need a connection. What can they follow? And obviously, we don't want to divulge too much for folks who are coming to this musical for the first time and want to join Allison in some of those acts of discovery. But again, for folks who haven't seen it, just to give them some idea of what they're dealing with and why Allison is embarking on these um, these forays into memory, what exactly is she discovering? What is she reflecting on? What is she looking back on? I think that Allison's reflection is ultimately an activation of healing. And when we look back when first of all when we're healing ourselves the natural inclination is to excavate our childhood right to excavate the foundations in which we exist and so she's looking back at those things and helping recontextualize them for her own healing for her own identity but also for an understanding of acts by her parents that seem incomprehensible or seem distant from her own. And I say parents because there's a lot of emphasis put on the father and he's super important, but we can't forget Helen Bechtel. We can't forget, she's the one who lives on. And Allison's second book is actually about Helen Bechtel. So it's, you know, it's this excavation into her childhood and, and contextualizing things within this sense of her own healing. And also now within firmly sitting within her own identity and sexuality, looking back and and seeing where were the phrase, where were the the threads of those things, where did they begin, right? And and pulling it all together like a quilt, right? 
And um, <clears throat> if I'm not mistaken, the last time you were with us was with Dracula and you were directing. Yeah. And now you are with this production. <laughs> and this is significant because it's your first musical in a very long time. Yeah, now. like over a decade. <clears throat> I think the last one was like 2012. Well, I should say I did do a musical uh, workshop of Henry McNulty's Navigator in 2022. And that's significant because when I did that workshop, I did it because it was new work, but it reminded me a little bit of the joy in music because I had lost touch with the community of musical theater for a very deliberate reason. And it pulled me back in. So, yeah, it's been a long. So but a full musical 2012, which is (laughs) what, 11 years ago, 12 years ago. Yeah. So the navigator drew you back into musical theater, but this actually drew you back on stage and into a full blown, you know, multi-week run. What was the appeal of this musical in particular? Honestly, the representation of a queer woman on stage. Mm -hmm. It's not something that happens often. It's a story of my family. I come from a family of many queer women, many queer individuals. I identify as a queer woman myself. And we see a lot, we see more represent, I shouldn't say a lot. We see more representation of queer men on film and on TV and on stage. And so the representation of a queer woman is unique. And that was the main draw. The other draw I will tell you is I did want to work with Troy Nickerson (laughs) because I've been in town for a couple years and I I hadn't worked with him. I've seen his productions and I'm like a content-based artist. Like I want to go for the thing I believe in, but I also like working with the people that I love. I love Jeremy as well. I love Jeremy as well, but I've worked with Jeremy. (laughs) But I had never worked with Troy. And so I wanted to be like, what is this container with this human that makes musicals? And And sometimes plays. And so you've been in town for a couple of years, but Hope, who plays medium Allison, has only been in town for a short while. Now, you're making your Spokane debut in this musical. Yep, this is my Spokane debut. And we were talking a little bit before uh, we went on air, and you come from a small town just outside of Chicago? Yeah, it's a small town called Byron, like three hours away from Chicago. Um, Yeah, I kind of come from the middle of nowhere, but I'm here in Spokane now. And so you landed here, and did you have prior musical theater background, and you wanted to get re-engaged with that community? Yeah, I um, I have done theater through middle school and high school and lots of community-based productions, and I knew that I wanted to go to school for theater because I love it so much. And so I moved here, and I had to take a little bit of a break just with moving and figuring out how to live on my own and be an adult. And finally, I was like... I. I love theater so much and I need to get back into it. And so when I saw Fun Home, I was like, all right, (laughs) there it is. And how did you find out about it? Because, you know, I I hear these conversations a lot where folks say, hey, I'm interested in theater, but I don't really know where the entry point is. What was your entry point? That's very fair. I didn't know where an entry point was for a long time. But um, the entry point actually came through my partner, Abby. I was talking about like, I need to get involved in a show and I'm so stressed out because I love this and I want to do it again. And Abby's parents know Troy and they were like, Stage Left is doing Fun Home. You should audition. Just go for it. See what happens. I was like, okay. (laughs) So, yeah. And had you done any productions of Fun Home prior to this or is this also your first production of Fun Home? This is my first production of Fun Home. Cool. And so you're playing medium Allison. Mm-hmm. And so we heard from Chelsea about sort of present day Allison or present day within the musical. But you're medium Allison, which is when she's in college. Yeah, it's right when she starts to go off to college. She gets to college and she starts 
dealing with her sexuality and becoming more aware of that part of herself. And so that's kind of what my character pertains is dealing with Allison's sexuality and figuring that out while also trying to connect that to her father and try and make that connection through that. <laughs> and you are going to sing a song that I think is relatively well known. It has a reputation almost outside of the musical, but you're going to close um, later on with Changing My Major. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the lyrics are pretty self-explanatory, but I'd, <laughs> I'd like you to talk about what's going on in this and the process of self-discovery that's taken place. Yeah. So this song happens right after Allison has her first lesbian experience. Um And she's singing about how this whole, like, world has opened up for her. She thought that she just wouldn't end up with anybody because it just didn't make sense. And then she got with someone named Joan and realized that there's just so much more, that this is what she was missing and this is what she was looking for. And it's just that pure elation of that feeling of, like, this is it. This is what I've been missing. And I found it. And I feel more at peace with that. And you had talked about Allison's father, Bruce, mm-hmm. and how her discovery of her own sexuality maybe stands in contrast to his disguise or repression of his sexuality. Mm-hmm. And again, without revealing too much, because this um, this should be an exploration for the audience as well, but can you talk about this this contrast between the two or the juxtaposition and how that maybe fuels some of the tension in mm-hmm. this play? Yeah, I think... Allison trying to figure out and find herself and deal with her sexuality. I think that does contrast with the dad a lot because he doesn't ever want to talk about it. And Allison does. Allison's like, I want to discuss this with you. And I want to talk about all the changes that I'm going through right now and all the things I'm dealing with. And Allison's father is very much like, no, we don't need to talk about that. Here's a book you can read instead and we can talk about that. And so I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes from when it comes to medium Allison and her father is there is just a lack of communication there that they need to sort through. <laughs> yeah, and I want to talk about some of the sort of high-level visioning that's taking place and the conversa- the creative conversation that might be taking place among the directors, but I don't want to ignore Madeline Brownlee, who is playing, mm-hmm. yeah, who's playing young Allison. Small Allison. Small yeah, Allison. small Allison. <laughs> and um, if one of you could speak on her behalf and talk about the Allison that she's representing. I mean, first of all, Maddie is a force. She's doing a really great, uh, a really great job. You know, I've thought a lot about the kids' presence in this in this production, and without them, and and almost without Medium Allison as well, this show would be an emotional anvil. Like the thing that youth brings is a lightness, is a sense of innocence, is a sense of discovery and being in the present moment. And I think that I think that young, small Allison does that. Uh, she has a beautiful solo in the second act called Ring of Keys, and it's literally about a single moment of her being present with something she recognizes. There's so much of a sense of childhood discovery and joy in the children on stage. There's three of them in this show, and they are all fierce. And I just couldn't imagine this show without them. So small Allison's representation of this lightness of this discovery is just as important because it's almost the bookend of the adult Allison's discovery, right? Adult Allison's discovery is very deliberate and a searching, right? A deliberate searching. Small Allison's discovery is an in-the-moment, organic, boom, it happened, I see it, right? Because she's a child. 
She's not inhibited by the world yet. Yeah, and I appreciate that you mention and draw this distinction between the emotional anvil and the lightness and oh, joy yes. of this show. Yeah. And I'll turn to you, Troy and Jeremy, and you can draw straws as to who answers, but um, I want to talk about both of those qualities of the show because I think the music embodies that, the music moves between these very poignant numbers and these very upbeat numbers like we'll hear in, in Changing My Major. And um, yeah, the show itself moves between lightness and heaviness. Right. We have made a, a real conscious effort, and I think one of our, our mantras has been find the joy, <laughs> you know, because we don't want that complete anvil. And, and so we're really searching for those moments, which are there, where there are moments of love and joy and within the family. And that, you know, this isn't all just a heavy, dark side. There's, there's moments where there's happiness and, and, and that, what's, that ends up making it all, all of that more devastating in some ways. So there's, it's funny, it's uh, touching, it's sweet, it's devastating, it's, it's all of those things. And I think that the exploration of all of that is, is really starting to come through. And you came to this musical through the music. And this is something that we talked about earlier. And I, I really find it fascinating that um, it wasn't necessarily the narrative, it, and, because it's a musical that reads like a play and a, a play that is a musical. Mm -hmm. But you came to this through the cast recording, and I wondered how that changed your perspective as you approached it, coming to it through the music as opposed to reading the script. Right. You know, for me, when I tend to listen to, to music, uh, music or musicals especially, I visualize in my head what I think they are or how they should be or how they, I would interpret them or how they should go, um, having never, ever read a script. So uh, it was lovely. To, the music just was, has moved me in so many ways. But there was moments when I got the music that I realized that other characters were singing things that I completely thought were sung by different characters. So once, once I had the script in my hands and uh, Jeremy got me the, the graphic novel, um, this whole other side of the story opened up for me and it became even, even more exciting to, to bring it to life. And did that afford you a certain creative freedom coming to it through the musical? So you had no preconceptions about what it was supposed to look like or what, how it was supposed to function. Um, it was just come through the music and then that really expands these possibilities. Yes. Well, and I think this show in general opens that up for a complete creative freedom because there's no rules to it. You know, I think you can, you can create it, uh, the visuals and the way you do it because of the way the story is set up and being told and jumping back from times and locations. And there's no reality that you're necessarily forced into. Um, Jeremy, Jeremy and I have a very similar aesthetic, so it kind of came from the, the concept of the sets and how we were going to do that. But I love this kind of storytelling in particular. And with something like, with a memory play, or in this case, a memory musical, and, and um, we have uh, How I Learned to Drive, and we have these flashback episodes. And I imagine that that would be difficult as a director because you want a certain amount of clarity. You want a certain amount of ambiguity because ambiguity is, is I think, what keeps us invested as an audience. But you also want that clarity so we right. know where we are in time. Um, are, do, do you find that this is a bit of a balancing act where you're having to say, okay, you know, we're in this situation, but we need to telegraph this with a certain amount of clarity to the audience. The genius of it, though, is, is that we, I mean, having Chelsea at the helm and being in that, those capable hands, Chelsea's character, Allison, leads us into those moments. She takes us there. She draws the audience into, into the past, into the future. Uh, hopefully it will be clear. I think it, it feels that way. You know, it's always kind of hard 
to judge your own uh, own thing, but but lighting. she lighting the, helps, and the lighting really helps. You know, the lighting designed by Alana Shepard uh, really helps pull focus into those scenes and and stuff. So. Yeah, lighting and, always helps with dreamscape, oh, I oh think, my gosh, right? Just, and reality. And, yeah, putting the audience where you need them to look. Yeah, and I want to I want to get to set design and and just scenic design uh, in just a second. But I'm also curious. You know, we had talked about how Chelsea was coming off of Dracula and doing this, and you know, moving from one production to another that might not necessarily make for a, a, a cohesive pairing. There's a, a little bit of contrast there, and the same thing. You know, you were coming off of Wonka and then coming to this, <laughs> and I would. I would guess that in each production, there are certain lessons learned, and you carry that that palimpsest of the previous production into your current one. So what are you bringing from Wonka, or what are you eschewing from Wonka on this production? <laughs> well, Wonka was so overwhelming. It was, uh, you know, it was so big and so many people. Mm. And the, 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 the biggest success for Wonka for me in some level was actually just the sheer enjoyment of the cast mm. and the relationships that they built and the, and the world that they had. And that was awesome. This for me is like so much my heart, you know, like it's just a more, uh, it's a play with music, but it's something that I'm personally really connected to and uh, uh, in love with. And speaking of Wonka, I did want to mention Jared Phelps and in his role as Bruce. Yes. Um, so if you could speak on his behalf since he's not here, but maybe talk about uh, the character of Bruce as he's embodying him. I'll let Jeremy take that one. Ah. Uh, <laughs> well, this is an extreme swing for Jared, for sure, coming from playing Wonka to playing Bruce. Uh, and he's done it very deftly and, uh, and with ease. Uh, this is a tragic character in the lexicon of American um, tales. And I think that um, the way Jared is embodying um, the essence of uh, Allison's father is going to speak to a lot of people in different ways. You know, being a, a we're a largely queer cast and being a, being a queer artist myself with uh, apprehensive memories of my youth with my father um uh this story brings up those uh images of young jeremy coming into his own and trying to discover how to heal from the the things that i'm going through with my dad but does it also inspire in you a certain amount of gratitude for the way things are today because bruce meets with a certain end, whereas you have a really good relationship with your father now, no? I do, yeah. Yeah, my dad and I uh, became very close the day after I came out. The first day was very rough. Um, <laughs> and I stayed at my boyfriend's house that night, and he picked me up at 6 in the morning, and he told me that he felt bad that I would ever feel that he didn't unconditionally love me. And so that was a wonderful moment where we bonded and became best friends, and we still are to this day. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a story of not just one family, but all families, and how secrets and lies can tear into the fabric of, of relationships and memory and how we heal from that. And how I think there's also that, that the healing from it, but also that what forgiveness can bring, mm. what forgiveness can bring you. Because I think once you can forgive some of that stuff, it does, you know, it's kind of cliche, but it sets you free. And I think at this show, there is a amount of forgiveness that it needs to happen for before Allison to, to be free because... Bruce made some pretty terrible choices in, in, in mm. his life. And, you know, you, you mentioned um, how now is different than then, and that's a big theme of this play, too. Um, but not just personally, but in the world, you know, now is different from then. And, and it's interesting working with young queer individuals um, <laughs> who 
don't uh, remember going through the AIDS epidemic like Troy and I went through and don't remember the fight for marriage equality, really. A lot of them came after that mm -hmm. into adulthood. So the world that they live in is drastically different than the one we live in. And they bring that youthful energy and exuberance and that idea that anything can happen and we can accomplish anything because they they are the uh, the winners of the of the battles that we fought. Which is for Bruce part of the problem is that he didn't have those choices. He didn't get he didn't get that. You know, I mean his life was completely different in his time and he chose a path that wasn't available you know, when he talks about the house and he talks about stuff, he just never had. I was saying, you know, we have the possibility now of growing up as a person knowing, hey, I could get married, I could have kids, I could have all of that. I never had that. Mm -mm. And certainly somebody of Bruce's age never had those possibilities. And that changed the course of his life. And we've been talking about how the, the script, um, the dialogue, and the music moves this forward. But as Chelsea mentioned, there's also this element of lighting that is also enhancing the story. And some of the, our listeners right now may have um, may be listening because you put out a post on on Facebook that showed the the set, and it was cast in this really beautiful and rich blue hue. And you can see a lot of the the illustrations that Allison, or inspired by Allison's uh, drawings, that have worked their way into the set design. So yeah, if you could talk about that and how your love of illustration, Jeremy, mm -hmm. has has informed your approach to the set. You know, when I was younger, I wanted to grow up to be a comic book illustrator. That was my my dream, and my parents scoffed at me, as most parents uh, of our young artists do. Um, you'll never make money, blah, blah, blah. So, um, I, I went to college um, uh, for theater design and dropped out, and, and most people who have heard me speak before know my past, and mm -hmm. I went into some dark worlds for many decades, mm -hmm. and when I emerged, uh, I found my way back to the theater. Um, I walked into Lake City Playhouse back in 2013 and saw their version of Sweeney Todd, and just seeing what theater does and experiencing that in that small space just captivated me and changed the course of my life. Literally, within months, I was... Uh, a resident designer of that theater and, and another one here in town too. Um, so having, you know, I was introduced to Fun Home in the graphic novel sense and then heard the cast mm -hmm. recording. So I'm coming from the illustrative comic book panel kind of world that Allison created and fell in love with that autobiographical experience. And being a comic book illustrator myself, the opportunity to um, take moments from Allison's graphic novel and interpret them in a way that you know, lends itself to the line work and the mood and the feel and the shapes that she brings, but also putting my spins on those those elements, uh, I think really enhanced the idea of this being a memory play. You know, we have such a small space. We're 23 feet wide by 28 feet deep, and mm -hmm. we've done things like Sweeney Todd and Rocky Horror and these huge, <laughs> uh, huge captivating musicals, and this is another one of those. But this lends itself in an interesting way because we have to had to create so many different environments um, that are looked back on in this world. So how do we do that without being able to have a row of caskets for the funeral home or without being able to have an elaborate living room set that can't move? You know, um, So we've created some interesting ways that the characters themselves propel the scenic elements uh, on the stage to create these new environments. It's been really, really fun. And Hope and Chelsea and Troy have all talked about how this play resonates with them um, because it does... You know, in any piece of theater, we should identify sort of universal human elements, but there are some specifics that really end up speaking to us as individuals. And I would say that this play, or this musical, I should say, 
must really resonate with you on multiple levels, oh my simply gosh. because of the illustrative element. And I could start crying right now. The life I get to live right now is beyond my comprehension. Um, if you would have told me this, you know, I, I got clean and sober 15 years ago, and if you would have told me 16 years ago that I'd be uh, directing with a very good friend of mine a version of Fun Home in a theater in Spokane, Washington, I would have never believed it. Um, so this is uh, a very, very special moment in my life. Well, I want to thank all of you for coming in today and talking about this. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank, you. thank you so much. I've been speaking this morning with Troy Nickerson, Jeremy Whittington, Chelsea Duvall, and Hope Cornett of Stage Left's new production of the musical Fun Home. Fun, Hope, Fun, <laughs> Fun Home opens this Friday. It's good to get the words out right. And that is January 26th, and it runs there until February 18th. Tickets and more information are at stageleftheater.org. And now we are going to hear Hope Cornett singing Changing My Major live in our performance space, and she is accompanied by Cedric Bidwell-Williams. What happened last night? Are you really here? Joan, 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 Joan. Hi, Joan! Don't wake up, Joan. Oh my God, last night. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, last night. I got so excited. I was too enthusiastic. Thank you for not laughing. Well, you laughed a little bit. At what point when I was touching you and said I might lose consciousness, which you said was adorable, and I just have to trust that you don't think I'm an idiot or some kind of an animal. I never lost control due to overwhelming lust, but I must say that I'm changing my major to Joan. I'm changing my major to sex with Joan. I'm changing my major to sex with Joan, with a minor in kissing Joan. For and study to Joan's inner thighs, a seminar on Joan's ass in her Levi's, and Joan's crazy brown eyes. Joan, I feel like Hercules. Oh God, that sounds ridiculous. Just keep on sleeping through this and I'll work on calming down. So by the time you've woken up, I'll be cool, I'll be collected, and I'll have found some dignity. But who needs dignity? Cause this is so much better. I'm radiating happiness. Will you stay here with me for the rest of the semester? We won't need any food. We'll live on sex alone. Sex with Joan. I am writing a thesis on Joan. It's a cutting edge field and my mind is blown. I will gladly stay up every night to hone my compulsory skills with Joan. I will study my way down her spine, familiarize myself with her I've become someone new. Nothing I just did is anything I would do. Overnight, everything changed. I am not prepared. I'm dizzy, I'm nauseous, I'm shaky. I'm scared. Am I falling into nothingness or a 
entangled up in my bedsheet and my heart feels complete. Let's never leave this room. How about we stay here till finals? I'll go to school forever. I'll take out a dementedly huge high interest loan. Cause I'm changing my major to joy.